Welcome, Crosspoint family. We are so happy that you decided to join us today in this beautiful Palm Sunday. Good morning. As we come to worship this morning, we want to enter in with a heart that's prepared to encounter Jesus. And uh, in order to do that, we need to turn our hearts to him. This is a great reminder of who Jesus is. And uh, it's Palm Sunday, of course. And we come to him declaring Hosanna. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a great reminder that Jesus came to save us. And that's what Hosanna means. It means savior. It's a declaration of who Jesus is. And so I know most of you don't have your palm fronds this morning, but we're going to enter in. We're going to start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can celebrate today that you are our Savior. You're our Redeemer. You're the one that comes to release us from our bondage. And uh, we look forward to the day that you are returning. Lord, we are here to worship you this morning. Uh, we turn on our Spotify playlist. We come and hear the word. But Lord, more than anything, we're here to meet with you this morning. So, Lord, we pray that this living room would turn into an upper room where we come and worship you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today we're starting a new segment. You're going to hear from one of our families and see what they've been up to during this season of quarantine. This is a new segment called This Is Us. It's a reminder that we're human beings, we're people, and it's an opportunity for us to get to see what some of the other people in our church are up to. Uh, today we're going to hear from the Welches, but you have an opportunity to create a video in the weeks to come uh, so we can see what some of our people are up to. Hi Crosspoint, we are um, Eric and Emma Welch, and these are my children, Isabella and Elijah. And we want to welcome you to our home and just share a couple of the things we've been doing um, during this quarantine time as a family and just kind of how we've been able to cope with this situation. Um, I know as for me, I've been working from home. I'm a school teacher, so I've been trying to reach out to a lot of um, my students as well as trying to help uh, Elijah and Isabella do their online schooling. How's school going for you, Elijah? It's going great. But we miss a couple of stuff. Yeah. How about you, Isabella? Um, fine. Fine? Almost the same as before. You have a lot of work? Yeah. Yeah. And so I know that for me and the kids, um, it's been an interesting pause in life. Uh, I've been enjoying um, as a mother. I've always worked uh, during their schooling time or during, during the school year. So it's been kind of fun to be home and just uh, take that time to be with the kids and enjoy the outdoors. We try to walk as much as we can and we try to ride bikes. Um, so it's in the midst of, of the chaos, it's been a, a pleasant gift just to stop and, and reflect on important things of family and children and just being home together. So, Eric? Yeah. Um on the same lines with me as well. I've been uh, working kind of half and half, half from home, half from the office. 
and, and in the free time, we've been uh, uh, doing things around the house. I've ordered some board games, been playing the farming game, uh, Dabble. Um, and then uh, the kids and, and our, our neighbors uh, who, uh, as with all of us, are kind of in the same situation as well, right? So we've been, you know, being, being able to just meet up with them out in the street and in the, gar in the driveways and, and things of that nature. So it's going. Um, I think cabin fever is starting to set in just maybe a little bit now. But uh, uh, we understand the purpose and, you know, God's got a purpose in everything. And uh, he works all things out for, for the good of those who believe in him. So... We just keep uh, keep praying and um, moving forward. This, this is, is us. us. As we continue to worship, part of worship is bringing our best to God. And so this morning, we want to bring our tithes and offerings to him. There's an opportunity you can give on our website. Uh, you can give via text. You can send a check-in. There's lots of different ways to continue to give. We know that a lot of people, a lot of you, have been hit bit hard, been hit hard by uh, the stock market crashing um, and some of the other things that have gone on, loss of jobs. But continue to trust the Lord with your finances. Continue to trust Him with His provision during this time. And part of that is giving back to Him and entrusting it to Him. Not so much about giving to the church as it is giving back to God and trusting his provision and uh, allowing him to bless us. So let me pray for the, for the finances here. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there's lots of opportunities for us to give, not just with our finances, but lots of opportunities for us to give back to you. And Lord, as an act of trust, Lord, we give our 10%. And then, Lord, we invite you to call us to be generous, that we might give above and beyond what you're asking of us in this way. You know what's needed during this time, Lord. You know what you've already provided. And we know that as you ask us to give, that you will meet every need. So, Lord, we put our trust in you this morning. We do this as an act of worship. And, Lord, we bless your name. Amen. Good morning, Crosspoint. This is Tamika here giving you guys the announcements for this week. Um, our first announcement is just to remind everyone that we do have a new website layout um, here at crosspointclt.org. Again, that's crosspointclt.org. Uh, so you do have the option to see what's going on with our new website. Definitely check it out there. There'll be different things there for you um, to check out. Um, and while you're there, please check out the new layout. Let us know what works for you. Um, we're going to have a password protected member portal with our online directory where you can put prayer requests in our calendar. Um, and then also answer the poll in your email. Let us know what website features um, you most use and why. Because we want to make sure that what we have on our website is something that um, also connects with what you're doing. 
For our next announcement, I want to remind everyone that we're still partnering with the Hope Street Pantry. Um, currently, right now, they're serving between 130 and 150 families, and they're only accepting monetary donations right now. Um, so, what you can donate on our church website, or you can donate through the Church Center app. Um, so, you do have the opportunity to give back through that avenue for our Hope Street Pantry, um, since we're unable to meet at the church and uh, bring donations there. Um, our next announcement, just want to remind everyone, um, this is your last chance to help out Cat Howard and the Eagles Foundation's NDR this month. Um, as many of you heard last week when Jennifer was um, doing cross-pronal missions, um, Catherine is home in the U.S., but um, it has put a stop um, or a halt to some of the things that she's been able to do in DR, but this will be your opportunity to help out still during this last month. Um, our next announcement, just wanted to let everyone know that our Alliance National Office is hosting a live stream Good Friday service, which also includes communion. And so we want this to be a special time together. So if possible, when you are um, when you place your next grocery order online or if you happen to go to the grocery store, um, would you also add grape juice or bread, um, a loaf of bread or a monster or whatever type of, of bread item that you could you could get um, and for you and the family to take at home. If that's not a possibility, also get creative. You can do um, Ritz crackers or saltines, um, something similar that would make a substitute for communion. Um, cranberry juice, wine, any other tart juice that, tart juice that you um, could have that would make a great substitution for grape juice. And then all of our other announcements for you guys will also be in your e-bulletin this week. Um, make sure that if you don't get the e-bulletin that you connect with Pastor Drew, um, either via phone, text, um, or through Facebook, um, to make sure that you're getting the e-bulletins so that you can still be connected with us. If you guys need anything else, again, you can still visit our website at crosspointclt.org. Thanks. Well, here we come to the message portion of our service, the sermon, and uh, I'll do my best not to keep my eyes closed during the whole video here, as I've been praying. But Lord, we do just open our ears, and we open our eyes to you, and we say, Lord, come and speak to us. We invite you into this time once again. We want to hear from you, so that we can grow closer to you, so we can obey you, so we can know what it means to walk with you. Lord Jesus, amen. So once again, here we are talking about a meal with Jesus. And uh, it occurred to me this week, we may not be having meals with each other, but we can still have a meal with Jesus. And so we come to this and we are in a season of preparation. We're in this Lenten season and this week, uh, we're moving into Passion Week here, and, and Lent is kind of fizzling out in preparation for the big show here of Jesus coming and dying on the cross, being risen again. And so as we, as we think about that, don't get too distracted by that phrase, the big show, but this is the main event. This is what we are waiting for. We're going to step into this. And what God has for us. So we're in Luke 14 today. A meal with Jesus. 
And the premise behind this passage is an acting mission. Once again, the Son of Man came. Jesus came. He came from heaven. He came to seek and save the lost and to give a ransom for many. He came to serve and not to be served. But he came eating and drinking. And unlike any other gospel, Luke shows us how Jesus ate and drank his way through relationships in order to bring people to himself. This is God's method, Jesus' method. Again, from Revelation 3.20. You might as well memorize it at this point. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. One of my favorite stained glass windows in New York City is in a little Lutheran church uh, on the Upper East Side, a German Lutheran church. And it is a stained glass of this picture of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. And the title on the, on the, on the painting that, that this stained glass was made from is called The Light of the World. Jesus is the light of the world. And he's holding a lantern in his hand and he's knocking on the door. And that's the door of our hearts. And remember, this book was written to Christians in Revelation. It was written to believers throughout the Roman Empire. Jesus is still standing at the door of our hearts and knocking. Will we open it to him and allow him to come in? As we think about eating a meal, we think about eating together. And we look forward, as always, to that time when we can eat together once again. I know a few people in our church who are still eating together with others. But uh, for the most part, we're just eating together as a family. And this is a great opportunity to increase those family bonds. To move in together and even deeper into relationship. Let me talk a little bit more about meals in the ancient world. If you go to the Middle East today and you eat a traditional meal, you will still see that this is the reality. In fact, many years ago when we traveled to Jordan, we were taught this by the Jordanian international workers. Every invitation comes in triplicate. You get your initial invitation, you get invited again, and you get a third invitation. And once you've had that third invitation, you know it's time to come over. This was common even in the time of Jesus in the ancient world. You invited guests and you would decide what animals to butcher in light of the response you receive. If you invite somebody over and they accept your invitation, you say, oh, well, we're going to have a big fatted calf. If just a few people, then you might butcher something smaller. But the first invitation always required a second invitation. And it's made as the feast approaches, as the, as the time of eating together approaches, to show sincerity and set a date. But then there's a third invitation. It's sent out, perhaps the following day after the second invitation, when everything is ready. Come, for everything is now ready. And keep this in mind as we go into this passage in Luke 14, because this is what we're seeing in the passage let me read from Luke 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body, 
We call this edema. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. The Sabbath. As we think about the Sabbath, this is the day that Jesus is having this feast on. This is important to the story. The Sabbath. Well, maybe we don't use that word as much as we used to. But the Sabbath is a day that's set apart. In Jesus' time, and in the, in, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath starts on Friday night, and it goes to Saturday night. So Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown. The day started in the evening. This is an interesting thing because, as we'll talk about Sabbath, this is important. Now, a lot of times, for most Christians, most people, we practice Sabbath on Sunday. The reason for this is, is the early believers moved their Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday because Sunday was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. We get to experience this next week on Easter as we look at the fact that it's Resurrection Sunday, and I'm so looking forward to spending it with you. But the day, the day is, is less important. There are some Christians, or they call themselves Sabbatarians, that still practice uh, the Sabbath on Saturday. But for most of us, we've moved it to Sunday. And the reality is the day is less important than the practice. The word Sabbath literally means cease and desist. Stop what you're doing. Stop working. It's a moment to take back, stand back, and take a break. In fact, in the Old Testament, they were told not to do anything on the Sabbath. They weren't supposed to, to cook. They weren't supposed to do anything but rest. They were prepared. The meal gets prepared before the Sabbath starts so that they're ready to eat. We've got this wonderful invention called a crock pot. And we use that to prepare meals in advance so they're ready when we're ready to eat. And I look forward to some more crock pot meals this week uh, as we have some chili and some other things ourselves. But they had this opportunity to, to stand back and take a rest. It was a reminder to them of creation God rested on the seventh day after he completed the work of creation. And later in Exodus, God tells Moses how beneficial the rest was to him. Now, if God says rest is beneficial to him, how much more so is it beneficial to us? But the other side of this is redemption. In fact, in the Ten Commandments, when it talks about the Sabbath, it's not so much focusing on the rest or the creation side of things, but it's focusing on the redemption side of things. As God talks to them about removing them from slaves from Egypt, he reminds them that he redeemed them, and that's why they're to practice the Sabbath. But the Sabbath doesn't stop here. In fact, the Israelites were commanded to practice a sabbatical year, every seven years, to let the land rest. When it came to finances, to cancel their debts, but even further on, imagine that. Imagine us having a sabbatical year. 
Uh, we might be having that now <laughs> in a lot of ways. Our debts are being canceled by the government, some of them. Extra provision is being made. It is, in a sense, a sabbatical year. But even more so, it's a year of jubilee. Every 50th year, they were practiced an extra sabbatical year. A year of jubilee. Where people were returned, slavery and, and greater debts were canceled. And this is kind of what's wrapped up in the Sabbath. Now, as we look at the story, we see that Jesus is with the Pharisees. The Pharisees practiced the Sabbath in a way that went way beyond the scriptures uh, asked them to. In fact, one of one of the rabbi, one rabbi said this. He says, the rules about the Sabbath are, a mountain, are mountains hanging by a hair, for scripture is scanty and the rules are many. The Pharisees had a practice of adding on to the Sabbath rules because they wanted to practice it so perfectly. They added how many steps you were allowed to take. They added exactly what you were allowed to do and not do, way beyond what the scriptures had said. And this is the atmosphere, this is the situation that Jesus is in. And so he asked them this question. He says, if, if one of your child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately put it out? They had nothing to say. Jesus wanted to know if it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath. Not because Jesus didn't know, but he was asking the Pharisees to see how they would respond. So what is this practice of Sabbath? It's a practice of rest. It's worshiping. It's coming away from our work. It's sitting still and reflecting and being there with God. It's also relaxing. That's also wrapped up in rest, right? The relaxing, the sleeping, the taking a nap. I love my Sunday afternoon nap, and I'm sure you do too. But it's also about recreating. We practice some recreation, whether it's art, music, going out and exercise, taking a walk, looking at creation. We practice recreation. But it's also doing some things of redemption. It's an opportunity for us to sit down and reflect on the week and say, hmm, how have I practiced forgiveness this week? How have I practiced redemption? Hmm, I can practice that today. This is why Jesus healed on the Sabbath. It was this piece of redemption that the Pharisees forgot. They were really good at the rest part, but they weren't good at the redemption part. Jesus goes on to say in Mark 227. The Sabbath was made to benefit people and not people to benefit the Sabbath. Look, the rules aren't hard and fast here, people. The important part is that we are learning to stop working and we're learning to rest and redeem. It has to be restorative. That's the key here. Is our Sabbath restorative? Is it restful? Is it redemptive? Are we seeing what God has intended for us in this? It is out of this Sabbath that Jesus tells them two stories. He tells them a story of a wedding feast. As he's sitting here having dinner with these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, these people of high regard, 
He watches them, and as he sees them, he sees them going to the place of honor. They're sitting next to the host at the head of the table. And Jesus tells a story of a wedding feast. This reminds me of a, a video many years ago from a series back in the early, uh, late 80s, early 90s called McGee and Me. As I look at this story, the picture of this cartoon is trapped in my head. The story of this kid. And uh, I won't tell more because I didn't go back and watch it. But this picture of do we take the seat of humility and allow God to raise us up? Allow the host to raise us up? Or do we think ourselves so high and mighty that we take the place of honor? He goes again and, and he tells a further story. Somebody responds to this. One of the Pharisees responds to this and he says, Oh, that reminds me of the great messianic feast that's to come. And so Jesus tells a story of a feast where people are invited, but they refuse to come. Can you imagine getting an invitation to a great banquet and refusing to come? Over the years, I've turned down many a, a meal, a coffee, something like that, but I've never turned down a feast. Bring me to a feast. I'll come every time. Those invited refused to come. They made up excuses. So the person, the host, throwing the feast tells his servants, go get, go get the outcasts. Go get the lame, the poor. Bring them in. And the servant comes back and says, we've already done that. We've done what you've asked. But there's still seats at the table. And he says, okay, go out to the highways and the byways and bring people in. These were the Gentiles that would have been further out, those of other religions, and they're being taught to come to the feast. But those people that didn't want to come, they missed out. This is a picture of the great messianic feast that's to come. And Jesus looks at that. I'll read this passage from Luke 14. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. And we have to understand, those that were invited... Jesus is telling this parable, but those that are invited are the Pharisees, the religious people, the churchgoers. They're the ones that are refusing the feast. Is that us? Are we refusing the feast that God's provided for us? You might be saying, but I'm saved. I prayed a prayer. Yes, you might have. But are you coming to the feast? Are you living as though you're waiting for the feast? Getting people to the feast was what Jesus was talking about here. He called the invited. He called Israel. He called the good churchgoers to come. But they came up with these pitiful and insulting excuses. Oh, I got a new property. I need to go, I need to go check it out. I got to make sure it's okay. Oh, I got a new car. In the passage, it talks about getting new heads of cattle. But the equivalent to us is maybe, oh, I got a new car, I got a new tractor, I got a new piece of equipment. 
And the third one's really interesting. I just got married. It wasn't that they were in the midst of their wedding feast. It's that the feast has already passed and they're refusing to come to another feast. They're making up excuses for why they can't come. We also see in this, we see the worlds of grace and religion colliding and healing of the man with edema. Here is one of the crippled that Jesus was talking about. See, religion had nothing to offer this crippled man, but Jesus brings healing. So often we say, oh, I'll pray for you. Oh, I'll give you something. I'm sorry you're crippled. But Jesus is offering something greater. He's offering healing. Do we pray for healing? Do we see healing happen? Sometimes, maybe. But Jesus is offering healing that will last. See, the Pharisees, they hadn't experienced grace. They didn't recognize their own need for it. And so as a result of that, they didn't offer grace to the needy. In fact, they had nothing to offer, nothing to say. So Jesus called the uninvited. And he invited the uncalled. This is an extension of Leviticus 21, 17, and 23. But most Jewish authorities said that no one who was blind, crippled, or lame could enter the temple. How amazing it was then that after Jesus cleansed the temple, and we're talking about when he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he comes in and he cleanses the temple. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Documents from the Qumran show that the Essene sect that was in the desert, they said that the poor, the blind, and the crippled, and the lame that have talked about in Leviticus 21 wouldn't participate in the Messianic banquet. Not only were they not allowed to come into the temple, but in their opinion, they would not enter into heaven because they were poor and blind and crippled. Hopefully you know this isn't true. God invites everyone to come to him. He's invited the uncalled. You realize that today we have poor and crippled and blind and lame people. And I'm not just talking about the physically poor, blind, and lame and crippled. I'm talking about the spiritually poor with nothing to offer for their salvation. I'm talking about the spiritually crippled who are made powerless by sin. The spiritually blind who are unable to see the truth about Jesus and the spiritually lame who are unable to come to God on their own. This feast is for them too. What's new to the story of the great banquet that Jesus is telling is he's inviting them, he's exhorting them to invite outsiders to the meal. Bring these people to the meal. Well, they're not good enough, but they're not good enough. No, bring them to the meal. They're invited to accept the meal that's coming. The guests at this meal that Jesus were at were people like him. They were Jewish people. And in the Jewish world, you ate with your own. But it wasn't just in the Jewish world. Everything about Jesus' time said you ate with your own people. Central to the political stability of the empire was the ethics of reciprocity 
a gift and obligation system that tied every person from the emperor in Rome to the child in the most distant province into an intricate web of social relations. Expectations of reciprocity were naturally extended to the table. Giving food to, to the poor was okay, but you gave them food at your back door. You never invited them in. The, that meant contamination. Scott Barchi writes, Beyond the household, people generally preferred to eat with persons from their own social class. It's not so very different today. We still like to eat with the people like us. This table of fellowship with Jesus, with its ethic of grace, rather than reciprocity, was creating a new countercultural society in the midst of the empire. How often did Jesus eat with the outcasts? Jesus wanted these Pharisees to see that his redemption on the Sabbath meal was a part of the Sabbath. That the meal is an expression of the Sabbath. It's an expression of that jubilee that is to come. The behaviors Jesus was calling for would collapse the distance between rich and poor, insider and outsider. Our attitude to the marginalized is, is being shaped by our experience of God's grace. How we respond to those on the outside really says how much we've received the grace that God has given us. Do we treat these people as people with dignity or are they just people on the sidelines? We're called to follow Christ into this broken world. Simply writing a check keeps the poor at a distance. But Jesus was the friend of these people. He was the friend of sinners. There's a lot we can do in these days. There's a lot that we can do to provide mission at a distance. In fact, this staying at home can afford us the time to practice mission, maybe even more so than we've had opportunity in the past. We have to start by practicing Sabbath because the Sabbath leads into loving others. When we're caring well for ourselves, our own souls and spirits, it allows us the space to see what God is up to and to join him in his work. Otherwise, we can keep our heads down and be way too busy doing our own thing. All of us can be guilty of this, even your pastor. But when we practice Sabbath, we can love others well. We can live out the mission. Living out that mission can start with a conversation. We can pray for the sick. We can care for the poor. In fact, those on the streets are worse off now than before because so many people have stepped away from caring. But others are stepping up. Will we join those that are stepping up? Let's not give in to fear because of this virus. Go out. When you're out, you go to the grocery store, you wear your mask, but keep your eyes open. There are the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind all around us. And then those, there are those that are physically poor and crippled and lame and blind all around us. Let's think about both these people. Wear your mask, use wisdom, but don't give in to fear. Open your hearts to God. Proclaim the good news of Jubilee. This is what Jesus proclaimed. This day, the year of the Lord's favor has come. 
and it is here. So what? The table of Jesus is welcome to all who will sit at it. All, not just the good churchgoers. Will we sit at the seat of humility and offer up the seat of honor to those that need to experience God's grace the most? We can't do our work of pointing people to Jesus effectively until we learn to sit effectively with Jesus. We have to practice Sabbath. Our experience with his redemptive grace will lead us to practice it with others. Mind you, his arms are open. He is still redeeming people to himself. Our role is to follow Jesus into every moment of redemption so that others can encounter him and experience jubilee at the great messianic feast. So let me leave you with a few questions. These are things to ponder, but don't just think about them. Really meditate on them. Meditate on the truth of the scriptures. Allow Jesus to speak to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. Where has fear set in because of this pandemic? I've had to keep an eye, make sure I'm not giving in to fear as I exercise wisdom. And I pray you will do the same. How are you doing at practicing Sabbath, especially during this season? Are you working harder or are you enjoying the relaxed schedule? Where have we given up being on mission, proclaiming and demonstrating the good news of grace? The banquet of the Messiah is ready. Are you, re are you really going to refuse his invitation? A meal with Jesus in Acts mission. Today, to close out, the blessing is from Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. You are sent out.